And turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter number 6. John chapter 6. It's a familiar passage in the Bible here, and we're just going to read through it here and try to learn some lessons from loaves of bread this morning. John chapter 6, verse number 1 says that after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, uh, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain and there sat with his disciples and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men to sit down. And now there was much grass in the place, so that the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were sat down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with fragments of five barley loaves, which remained over and above them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Let's pray. Amen. So in the in the lesson, in the feeding of the five thousands, like I say, it's a very familiar passage, but there's a lot that we can learn from it. And we can, as we look at it, we want to look at the requirements of this miracle that Jesus did. Because there were some things that took place for Jesus to perform the miracle. There are some rewards that take place and there's some revelation. There were some things that were revealed by this miracle. Number one, I want to look at the requirements. It says, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. You had people following Jesus around. We're learning in dispensationalism that signs are for the Jews and uh, Greeks seek after wisdom. But we learned that uh, in the Old Testament, God used signs to let the Jews know when he was doing something, when he was moving among them. We see it back with Moses when he, when, uh, he said, how shall they know that you sent me? And he told him to put his hand in his specimen and pull it out. And it was leprous and put it back. He gave him the rod as a sign and he gave him other signs. And here they've seen the miracles, but they want to follow him for the miracles like a road show. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. So he goes to get away from them. And the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was nigh. And when Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? So number one for this miracle, there was a need. <laughs> there were people that needed to be fed. But Jesus looks up and he's asking them and he's attesting them. It says he, he asked them because he knew what he was going to do and he asked this to prove them. And we see in two answers here, we see in the answer of Philip and we see in the answer of Andrew, we see two different attitudes. 
I think they can t- the same attitudes can take place in a person as they can take place in a church, as they can take place among other people. And these two attitudes that we see here, number one, we see Philip sees the limitations. He says, and this he said to prove him, for he knew himself what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. We often get caught up with our circumstances. When, when, God's, when we really need something from God, when we need his provision, when we need him to provide for us, we look around and we say, you know, well, all I have is this. How's God going to use that? All we have is 200 penny worth of bread. We're not able to feed them. If the first one says, we're just not able to do this. He doesn't think about what the possibility is with God. He just looks at himself and says, we're just not able to do this. It may take place in your life. It may take place with someone that's sick. I know in our own life, and uh, I may tell a little more than I should, cause I, but uh, in our own life, you know, with Didi facing Crohn's disease, it just seems impossible. It seems improbable that anybody can do anything. She's been living with it for 30 years, and she's been suffering every day for the last few years. But here we, you can't limit God by what you have available to you. We pray it when we trust God, and, you know, she's been going to a doctor. There's some hope for us now. There's some possibilities there. But if all we look at is our resources, if all we look at is what's around us or what we have available to us, then we begin to limit God and say, well, God can't do this. So the next reaction that we see is Andrew. It said, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? So the other reaction we see here is Andrew's willing to look around and see what could God use. And uh, we don't always know what God's going to use. But he looks around at the possibilities. He's open to possibilities, but he's also honest about it. He said, but what are these among so many? We look out at our own life when we need God to perform a miracle in our lives or we need God to do something in our lives. We look around and we say, well, there's this. But how's that going to help? I'm not sure. But Lord, whatever you want to do, we need to be open to God working in our lives. We need to be open to God working in our church. We need to be open to God working in our witness. We need God to be open. We need to be open to God just working, just flat. Working for us, working, 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 working. The other thing that we see is there was some sacrifice in this. He said, there is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? He didn't say anything about anybody else's loaves and fishes, but there's a lad there. I have a feeling that maybe when Jesus said, how are we going to feed him? I think that young boy, and this is just me, this isn't Bible, but I think that young boy heard him, and I think he walked over with faith in his heart, and he said, you can use this. You know, in your own life, there's things that you can do for the Lord that you might not realize you can do. You look at your own talents, you look at your own abilities, you look at your own failings, you look at your own shortcomings, and you say, well, the God can't really use this. All it is is five loaves and some fishes. And so God can't really use me. It's a frightening thing sometimes when you step out on the Lord, step out for the Lord, and, and you just don't know what he's going to do. You, just, you don't even know if he's going to do anything for you. 
But the lad steps up. He said, here am I. Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And the lad steps up and he said, here's, here's the loaves and the fishes that I have. This is all that I have to offer. And Philip sees that and he says, but what are these among so many? Now, Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't tell them ahead of time. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to multiply these loaves and I'm going to multiply these fishes. Jesus just said, he prays over it. He hands the disciples the bread and he distributes it. They distribute it. But uh, when, when God's working in our life, we don't get an index. We don't get a table of contents. We don't get a game plan. We don't get a goal list. Okay, God's going to do this. God's going to do this. God's going to do this. I remember uh, Calvary Baptist Church as uh, just being faithful to go visit, you know, on Tuesday nights. And I remember we we went to visit a family, and I talked a little bit about it last week. But we would go and visit, and man, you would think there was a prospect, or I hate to say prospect, but man, you would think somebody was ready to come to church. And they're saying, "Yeah, I'm ready to go to church. Let them to the Lord." You know, they said the prayer, everything. But, you know, belief is in the heart. Saying the prayer doesn't save you. Belief is in the heart, and you can't read their heart. But you lead them to the Lord in the only way that you know how, and you you say, okay, you know, come to church, or we'll come pick you up. And you think that that person is going to come. And what I found was that the people that I thought would come to church didn't. But then God would send somebody from somewhere else. Now, God has a way of letting you know that he's the one doing the work, that he's the one working the miracle, or that he's the one multiplying the bread and the fishes. He just has a way. In your own life, you're going to think you have solutions, and you try to work through them and stuff, but God will send you a solution from somewhere else. You have to be open to it. The Jews had their doctrines so down so tight, they had everything so tight, they just knew that Jesus wasn't coming from this area. But God made sure that they knew he was the one that sent them. So there is a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? So there was a need, there was faith, and there was sacrifice. Being willing to give up something. I've kind of hit and edit. I've been reading through Jim Elliott's journals, you know, and I've just been kind of top skimming, just kind of, you know, like skipping the rock across the water. And he's got, there's so many devotional points in there as he sat and did his morning devotional and wrote different things. But uh, one of the things that I've kind of seen is he ended up marrying, and in case you don't know, Jim Elliott was one of the missionaries that got killed down in South America. Uh, They made the movie about him, The End of the Sphere into the spear. And Elizabeth Elliot, his wife, she'd had a radio program for years. And she did a little Bible study on the radio. I used to listen to her in Georgia. But uh, Jim Elliot, he ended up marrying her. But before then, there was a lot of time that he spent mooning over another girl, a, a Betty. And one of the things that he brought out over the time, you kind of read the different entries and stuff and. uh you, you read a part where he, he said, I laid her on the altar, or she, she was on the altar. She put herself on the altar, and he said, I, I've given her over to you, Lord, because there was just something that God was holding back. He was to be a missionary, and he just knew that he couldn't have her, but he wanted her so bad to be his wife. And uh, 
he said he had given her over to God. But in one of the entries, he realized that even though he'd given her over to God, even though he'd made this sacrifice, and this is the point of it, the boy made a sacrifice. He gave up his loaves and his fishes. But he'd made a sacrifice. He said, Lord, she's all yours. I know that I can't have her right now. But in the back of his mind, he told himself, he said, if I give her over to God, then God will give her back to me. I think maybe like Abraham taking Isaac up on the mountain, and it's not always like that. There's not always a ram in the bush. Amen. Amen. And he, he, he reached that point and he said, Lord, I give her over to you all the way. I understand that I can't have her. And it broke his heart. And I hadn't got to the end yet, but I know he ends up marrying Elizabeth. And I know they end up in a way better marriage than he probably would have had with the other woman. And it's sacrifice. Are you willing to give up something? And it may be something that's holding you back that God's asking for. It may be that besetting sin. It may be, I don't know what it is, but God speaks to you in your devotions. He says, you need to let this go. And do you hang on to it? But the boy was willing to sacrifice. And look here. It says, uh, verse number 10, And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves when he had given thanks. He distributed to the disciples. Pay attention to that. Jesus gave thanks, and he distributed the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples to them that were sat down, and likewise the fishes as much as they would. You know, it's an interesting thing, and it never ceases to amaze me, that God will use the foolishness of preaching that God will use us to witness to other people. Because in the back of your mind, you say, well, God could perform miracles and people would believe in him. People that don't believe in God, they say, I can't believe in a God that I can't see. If he were right here and I could talk to him and he performed some miracles, I might could believe in that God. But I can't believe in your imaginary sky God. I can't can't believe in your God that you can't see. I can't believe that you worship something, some imaginary friend. But, you know, it's a funny thing because Jesus was right here on earth and he was performing miracle after miracle after miracle. And they followed him around for those miracles. And it shows here in the beginning of the verse that they followed him. A great multitude followed him, verse number two, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And then later when you get to, and I was saving this for the end, but later he tells them, you didn't follow me because you wanted to hear my word. You followed me because of the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. They were chasing after miracles. And there's a lot of people that are chasing after what God can do for them. But he distributed to the disciples. He gave it out to the disciples, and then the disciples distributed Now, hopefully in this room, you're disciples of Christ, you're followers of Christ because you get saved. But there's also that walk that you have to do in this world. And God gives you a ministry, whatever it may be. It may be a ministry of prayer. It may be just a ministry of sweeping the church, cutting the grass. I don't know. Whatever God gives you to do, do it cheerfully. But God uses the foolishness of preaching. Look over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So they say, I believe in God if he were 
if I could see him, if I could talk to him, if I could hear from him, if I could see miracles that he performed. But God uses preaching. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew him, knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And this is where I disagree with modern Bibles, where it says the foolishness of the message preached. To me, there's nothing foolish about the message of the death, burial, and resurrection in Jesus Christ. But there is something foolish about you sitting here listening to a man talk for an hour and getting closer to God because he's preaching to you out of his word. It said, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. And when you see Greeks there, you can say Gentiles. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the mighty, to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. So God takes a little bit that you had to offer up. He doesn't always use the mighty and the noble, but he used what you have, and he's willing to use what everyone has, whatever they have to offer, whatever their offering may be, and he'll show you what it is. So it's distributed to the disciples, and then the disciples distribute it to the people. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, verse number 12, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. All the other thing I wanted to point out was that there was action involved. That it wasn't just a prayer answered, that the bread didn't fall down on their head. But there was action involved on the disciples' part. It had to be distributed. You have to be willing to follow up on the action. We pray for miracles. We pray for God to work in our lives. But there's things that you have to do. There's steps that you have to take. And I can tell you, that's a matter of faith in and of itself. To say, Lord, I don't know exactly what you want me to do, but I'm going to step in this direction. I've found that when God doesn't want me going there, he'll put up blocks. But also, I've got to follow his word. Uh, there's so many things to it. You have to follow God's word and be aware of what his word is to know his will. But you also have to be willing to step out on faith and trust, Lord, I, I feel like you're sending me here. This is where I need to go. So when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. And then uh, the next, the first part of the requirements that we see for this miracle that took place, there was a need, there was faith, there was sacrifice, a willing sacrifice, and there was action that took place. There was work. There was things that had to be done. And there were rewards that took place. The first reward, he said, uh, 
that nothing be lost. Therefore they that gathered them together and filled the twelve baskets with fragments of barley bread, which remained over and above them that had eaten. Everyone had their fill, but there was still twelve baskets left. So there, number one, the immediate needs were met. The needs for that meal, the needs of that time, the needs of that moment were met. The immediate needs of others and the immediate needs of the disciples. And also the immediate needs of the boy who had sacrificed his lunch. Those were fulfilled. But then they gathered over and above. They gathered 12 baskets. Now, this is where I could get off into prosperity preaching and say, you give a little and God will bless, over down, press down, shaking up and all that. But, you know, that's, that's kind of the point of this message when you look at the people, because we're going to look at what happened after this miracle. But the needs of the boy were met, and also the needs of tomorrow were met. God provided them for the next day. So there were some things that were revealed in this. And this is a part. The miracle reveals some things. God does things with purpose, even though we may not realize what that purpose is at that time. God's not just satisfying your fleshly desires, but God is often teaching you something at the same time. And that was the case with this miracle. Number one, verse number 14 says, Those men, then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. The purpose of the miracle was to glorify him and to point people to him as the Son of God, to point people to the Messiah. Your Messiah has come. The miracle revealed God's provision. God does work in our lives to supply our need. Paul understood this well over in Philippians 4.19. He said, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We know that God will supply our needs. And the miracle revealed the true believers. Look at uh, verse number 24. Verse 24, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, and this is after the miracle, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? In verse 26, and Jesus said, answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. There are people that get answered prayer, and all they want is more answered prayer. There's people that see God work and see God's blessings, and they want to get a hold of God's blessings. And we enjoy God's blessings, Amen. But there's people that just seek for the noise. They just seek for the miracles. They just seek for that moment, that, <laughs> that time on the mountain with God or that time where God will bless them with something. A lot of people that don't believe in God, they say, well, I just don't believe a loving God would allow this. I just don't believe a loving God would do this. They're looking for the miracles. They're looking for God to act in everything. Um. Some sought the product of the blessing rather than the meaning of the blessing. There were many that heard Jesus that day and followed after him because of the miracle. And Jesus began to give, when Jesus began to give them the foundations of truth, they fell away. 
We see that later in this passage, and let's look at it, verse 26, he says, You seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. He says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father's seal. He begins to to use that miracle to point to himself as the bread of life. He said, then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. Jesus came to perform miracles and signs, but he came to save us. He didn't come to feed them bread. He didn't come to start a bread line. It's good when we can step up and help other people. But if the church only becomes a place where people come to be fed, then we've lost the way if we're not pointing people to Jesus Christ. I remember, and this is an aside, but I remember at Calvary, you know, we had the phone on the wall, and I remember answering it one time, and the fellow said, I need my light bill paid, you know, and I said, well, we just, we just don't have, the, we're not set up for that, you know, and, and uh, he was talking all nice and you know, spiritual when I answered the phone. But when I, when I told him that we couldn't help him, all of a sudden we're the worst people in the world, you know. He was, he was wanting the blessings of God. And that's one of the things you worry about as a church. I remember a woman that came to the church and we were having Bible study and we would have the food laid out and, every, you know, we, we'd, we'd have breakfast. You know, Dee Dee would bring her casserole. She hadn't made that in a long time. She'd have her breakfast casserole there. We we probably couldn't eat it now. It would be too be too full. But uh, she'd have that breakfast casserole there, and we'd have coffee, and you know we'd sit around the table for Bible study. And uh, Miss Gay blesses us with donuts. She might not want you to know that, but the donuts Miss Gay brings them every Sunday morning. And uh, y'all be sure to get over there and get some, because I don't want to take them home. So the we we had the we had the we were having Bible study and this woman shows up with her daughter and we're like oh you know have some have some food have something to eat and she said oh great you know we we don't know the, when the next time we're gonna eat you know <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden our hearts and our wallets were open you know we were willing to help her found out from one of the members uh, his mother went to the church down the road now in Georgia there's a church every half mile kind of like Highway Three here. Well, there's a church about every half mile, but uh, we found out from one of the members is, is uh, she had gone to his mother's church that evening. You know, we went out on visitation. I said, well, what would I get if I didn't have much? Bought some cereal, bought some bread, bought things like that. You know, took it over to her house. We had the address. And uh, well, you can tell the word of God wasn't a priority when you got in the yard. But we gave them the groceries. And she said, now, which church are you? Oh, my. It's hard to keep up when you're going down the road. You're looking for the loaves and the fishes, but you're not there for what Jesus has to offer you. And this is what happened here when Jesus gave the word. He said, our fathers, they said, therefore, unto him, verse number 30, they said, therefore, unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread for heaven to eat. And then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. 
for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And then said they unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. I think they're still thinking that uh, Mrs. Barrett's truck is going to come driving down from heaven to feed them with bread. They said, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And he's given a spiritual application, and they're still caught in the physical. But I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. Remember what I said about the atheists? They say, man, if I could just see God, if I could, I, I could believe. How can you believe in an imaginary God? Jesus was here on earth, and they were there right in front of him, and they still didn't believe him. They didn't believe what he was teaching. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 41, the Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? <coughs> so there we there again, we have someone that's looking around them. They're looking at what they can see, what they can feel, what they can touch. And they're saying, how is this Jesus? How, he, how can he come down from heaven? We know his father. We know his mother. They didn't know his father, though. They just knew Joseph. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the father which has sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And verse number 47, we're going to skip ahead. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. Now there's something. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now this was a turning point. This was a dividing point. This was a point at which they stopped listening. Because they weren't listening with spiritual ears. Now they're hearing Jesus say that you have to eat me because I'm the bread of life. He said, I am the living bread uh, which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Looking back, we know that he died on the cross. The Jews therefore strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He really pulled it back there, didn't he? Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. My flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. I can tell you, being in the pulpit, sometimes you, you have a tendency to want to pull back. You have a tendency to say, uh-oh, this might be digging in somebody's pea patch, and you want to pull back. Jesus doesn't pull back. Amen. Jesus not only didn't pull back, but he just dug the knife in deeper on them. You're here for the miracles. You're here for the bread. Let me tell you what I'm here for. 
Let me tell you how to have eternal life. And he doesn't do it to be me. He's telling them. He's giving them the words of truth. I am the bread of life. Think back to Moses. Think back to the manna in the wilderness. Think back to God's provision. But they all died. They ate that manna and they all died. They're all in the grave. They're all buried. They're all scattered. But if you accept me as your Savior, if you accept the Son of Man as the Messiah, if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. He said, as the living Uh, Verse 56, he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. As the living father has sent me and I live by the father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. And this is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, but he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. In verse 59, these things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said... This is a hard saying. You know, I, I can tell you from experience, when you're out of God's will, a lot of things God says are a hard saying. When, God, when, when you're out of God's will and you're sitting in church and the preacher says, you might need to sacrifice something, you might need to give up something. Oh, this is a hard saying. How can you say that? When the preacher gets up there and he says, you're living in sin, you ought to be married. <laughs> Oh, this is a hard saying. When a preacher gets up there and says, maybe you shouldn't lie, or he tells you directly, you shouldn't be lying, you shouldn't be stealing, you shouldn't be committing adultery, you shouldn't be doing all these things. Oh, this is a hard saying. I don't want to go around that preacher anymore. I don't want to be in that church. I don't, man, I, he just beats me up every service. And I've been there where I've been beat up about working. But it's a hard saying. But when your heart's open to God, look what happens here. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, or make alive. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And he's telling them right there, it's a spiritual application he's making. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. In verse, I want you to pay attention to this. John 6, 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. That was enough. They'd had enough. They couldn't handle the doctrine. They couldn't handle what Jesus had to tell them. And they missed out on what Jesus had for them. And then Jesus turned, verse 67. said, Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will you also go away? And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he goes on. But it's when you're truly following the Lord. It doesn't matter what takes place in church. I talked to somebody recently, and they talked about the different things that were going on, the things that the preacher upset them about or something like that. But let me tell you something. The one thing that I teach in this church and the one thing that I want to drive home to everybody that comes to this church, don't let your relationship with the Lord hinge 
on somebody else. All these people were wishy-washy. They were there for the miracle. They were there for all of that. But in your heart, if you're growing as a Christian, you're there for the word of God. Now, the church may not line up with the doctrine or something may not be right. And God may be sending you to another church or something like that. But you don't fall out. You don't be the one that years later said, well, I was going to church pretty regular, but such and so said such and such to somebody so. And I got mad and I just didn't want to be a part of that church anymore. And well, I got out of church and I just really, you know, and I just hadn't been in my Bible. And well, I just hadn't. It goes by bits and pieces. You never fall completely out. You don't walk out of the doors. You don't get away from God just in one moment. You get away from God gradually. You begin to allow a little bit of this and a little bit of that into your life. And when you step away, because you got offended at this point, when you step away, if you aren't in a relationship with the Lord, if you aren't in a personal relationship, your devotional in the morning, your prayer in the morning, it's all so important. It's your daily bread. And that's what Jesus was talking about. We turn to him. I know when I've been starving spiritually and I get in the Bible, it's just like getting a a four-course meal laid out sometimes. And sometimes the meat's hard to swallow, isn't it? Sometimes the things like Jesus passing on hard doctrine to them, spiritual doctrine, they say this is a hard saying. So I'm asking you today, how is your relationship with the Lord? Do you just want to be around when the five loaves and the five fish and the fishes are multiplied? Or do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that will withstand whatever goes on around you? If you'll stand today. If the Lord spoke to your heart.